think uh, half the fun is watching the kids. Maybe 75% of the fun is, is watching the kids. And uh, nothing puts more pride in a dad's heart than watching your youngest just pick his nose all the way back to his seat. That's, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Well, again, Merry Christmas. Uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. If you're here visiting with us, thank you for being here. We are so glad you're here and that we get to celebrate this uh, small part of your Christmas day with you. And it's a joy to have you. Um, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. This story is going to sound very familiar. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be at this morning. We do have Bibles on the back table. If you uh, need to borrow one of those, you can have it. Merry Christmas. That's our, our gift to you. Luke chapter 2 is where we will be today. It is really a special thing that Christmas falls on the Lord's Day this year. and We're not going to have that again for 11 more years. So soak it in while it lasts today. We have the opportunity to gather together to celebrate the birth of Christ. And, and there is something special about that. We are going to hear the Christmas story this morning. And many people are familiar with the Christmas story. Even if, even if maybe your understanding is it was Jesus' birthday, right? Everybody has kind of an idea of what the Christmas story is about. But this morning we'll see that it is not ultimately the story that we need. We need the one who the story is about. It is Christ who can bring joy to the joyless, hope to the hopeless, who can lift up the downcast, who can comfort sufferers, and who can save sinners. We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 21, and we're going to take this in four big chunks as we consider the wonder of the birth of Christ. We'll see that the Son of God is sent, that He is proclaimed, that He is sought, that he is Savior. My, my alliteration only goes as far as three. If I have four points, I can't alliterate them all. It just doesn't, just doesn't work like that. Let us read verses 1 through 7 as we take our first chunk of the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And we see the Son of God is sent. Now Luke, the writer of this part of the Bible, tells us that in these days when when Judea was under Roman rule, when John the Baptist had been born somewhat miraculously to an old woman named Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah the priest, a decree went out through all the land. Caesar Augustus, the, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, yeah, that Julius Caesar, the first true Roman emperor, made a proclamation throughout all the world, which really meant the Roman Empire, of course, that all needed to come and be registered. All living in this massive empire from Europe to North Africa to the Middle East needed to come to the land of their birth. Augustus decreed that in order to collect taxes from those living in his empire, they needed to be registered. A census needed to be taken. And if you're going to properly do a census in those days, everyone needs to go back to their hometown, the place their forefathers lived in ages past. And for many people, this wouldn't have been a long journey. People didn't move as far away from home as they do today. They, they lived closer to the place they were born. And for Joseph, the, the betrothed husband of Mary, the man who was 
uh, essentially engaged to be married to Mary. This meant traveling from Nazareth, a little podunk town near the Sea of Galilee, to the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the city of David, the hometown of the greatest king of Israel, the, the, the one who killed the giant Goliath. And it was to this King David of Bethlehem that God had made a particular promise, that he would raise up a son, a descendant, who would reign over the people of God forever, a king whose kingdom would have no end. Now, Joseph was not that king, of course, but he was descended from David. David was his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-on-and-on-and-on-grandfather. Now, Joseph didn't make this journey alone, but he made it with Mary, his betrothed. Now, today, if you were to hop in a car and drive down the highway in, in Israel, it would be about a two-and-a-half-hour journey. About 90 miles. But back then it would have taken closer to a week, especially because Mary was pregnant. She wasn't pregnant with Joseph's child out of wedlock. Her pregnancy was a miraculous one, unlike any that had ever occurred. Mary was a virgin. Virgins do not normally conceive children. Her child had been conceived not by man, but by the creative power of God the Holy Spirit. And about nine months before this point, Mary had been visited by an angel and given an incredible promise. We see it in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. The angel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This was no ordinary child. This was the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. This was the son of David, the promised king, the Messiah. God was sending forth his son. So we see Joseph and Mary make the long journey to Bethlehem. They arrive there in verse 6. And while they were there, it was time for the baby to be born in the way that all babies are. But this didn't happen in a hospital room. This baby was born wrapped in swaddling cloth and a rough blanket and laid in a manger. And Luke tells us there was no regular lodging in Bethlehem for this little family. Maybe the rooms at the inn were full because of all the others who had made the journey back home and could travel quickly and more quickly than Mary and Joseph. Maybe because the inn was a public place and apparently very full, it wasn't a suitable place for a woman to give birth. But in any case, so it was that Mary and Joseph found themselves in a stable, a place that livestock lived, laying their newborn baby, precious beyond imagination, in a manger, a trough used for feeding animals. And that day, in the city of David, David's greater son was born. And as Emperor Caesar Augustus made his powerful proclamation, an even greater king was born but in the most humble of surroundings. There was no parade through the streets. There was no earthly fanfare. There was no birth in a great palace or a feast to follow. The promised king was born in a manger, resting in a blanket on animal food. And yet, despite such lowliness, God has sent his son into the world, and God was working out a plan of rescue, a plan of redemption, of salvation, not in the way that we try to do such things in our, our human ways, but according to his divine plan and wisdom. But heaven would not keep the birth of God's 
Son a complete secret. So we see God's Son is proclaimed in verses 8 through 14. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God's Son is proclaimed. In the same region, in, in, that, in that general area of Bethlehem, Luke says, there were shepherds doing what shepherds do, hanging out with their sheep in the fields, making sure they didn't run away or predators didn't come. Now, they weren't inside the city. They were outside of the city walls in the fields. Probably very quiet that night, a kind of quiet that you and I maybe have never heard in our busy world. No highways, no cars, no airplanes, no MP3 players, right? No iPhones. Just the sound of sheep. A cool evening breeze rustling the grass. The shepherds may be getting drowsy. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, breaking the peace in the still of the night, an angel appears to them. And angels in the Bible uh, rarely look like what we, uh, what we put on our Christmas cards, right? They're not cute little babies in, in nice white dresses with wings, right? They're, they're fearsome creatures, fearsome creatures. And usually in the Bible, when an angel appears, the angel has to tell the people to whom he's appearing, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, because of his appearance. And an angel appears to these shepherds, something they'd never seen before. The glory of the Lord, brighter than the sun, shone upon them and all around them. And understandably, they were afraid. They were afraid. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I don't think I can. Yet as surprising as this event was, and as terrifying as it may have been to the shepherds, this was no occasion for fear. And the angel tells them, fear not. Fear not. There's a reason that these shepherds do not need to fear, the angel says, and it's because of the news that the angel is bringing. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is not a moment of fear, but of joy. The angel tells him he brings good news. Good news. Something unimaginably good has happened in this cold, broken, sinful world. He brings them news of great joy. There is reason for these shepherds. There's reason for all people to have joy. There is something that has happened that they and that you and that I need to know about should give a deep, life-changing joy. The angel tells them that he brings them news that is for all the people, not just for some, but for all to hear. Rich, poor, great, small, religious, irreligious, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, child, Morally clean on the outside, very sinful on the outside, comfortable suffering, those living then, those living now, for all people. This is a message for us, for you. And what is this message? You wonder what the shepherds were thinking as they heard this. Well, what's this good news going to be? It wasn't that Rome had been overthrown. It wasn't that there's now abundant food, drink, and money for all the citizens of Judea. Nothing like that. It's a simple message. 
The angel says to the shepherds, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A message that is simple, yet amazingly profound. A history-changing event. You see, the people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah, for this promised King, for the Christ, for many, many years. And now the angels are appearing to these shepherds and telling them, He's here. He's been born. It's happened. That very day. So the, the child Isaiah spoke of when he said, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years before the birth of Christ, he spoke of this child. The prophet, that, uh, prophet Micah spoke of this child as well. He says, To you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. In other words, an insignificant place, a small town. From you, from that place, shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Again, hundreds of years before Christ was born, he was spoken of. And they looked forward to him. And the angel says, he's here this day. He's been born. This was the ruler who was not merely man, but as Isaiah said, would be God too. God was visiting his people. God with us, Emmanuel. God was amongst his people in the most unexpected yet wondrous way imaginable. The angel gives a sign to these shepherds. How will they know this is true after all? This is wonderful news, but how is there any way to know if this is true? How will they know that this has happened? How would they know what child to look for? What's the sign that this has happened? And the angels tell the shepherds in verse 12. It would be a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And this would probably not be a difficult search. There's not a lot of babies lying in mangers, right? They just need to go to Bethlehem. They need to check all the stables, see which one has a baby in. But the angel wasn't quite finished yet. He tells them what to look for, but he's not quite done speaking. This occasion is not just for joy and for good news, but for worship. And the angelic messenger is all of a sudden not by himself anymore, but he's surrounded by a heavenly choir, a multitude of angels, a, a massive choir of heaven's hosts who praise God. They say glory to God in the highest. The birth of this child, the Son of God, brings glory to God. It, it's a mighty work of salvation that should cause all creation to give him honor, glory, and praise. A work that he has done that shows his love, his mercy, his grace, his justice, and his power. The angels proclaim peace on earth among men. The birth of this child brings reconciliation between God and man. We've been separated from God by our sin, and yet this child has come to bring us back to God. Not just between God and man, but between man and man as well. Bringing peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And then from, 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 from that momentous event, on that night, when Christ was born until now, the message of the Christian Christmas is just that. Unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. And this is a message that should lead us to worship, to give glory to God, to marvel that He would make peace between us and, and Himself through what this baby would do. 
But as wonderful as, as, as that Christmas message is, and it is wonderful, that's not the end of the story for the shepherds. They must respond. They must seek this child, the Son of God. And that's what we see in 15 through 20 of our passage. The Son of God is sought. We read, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The angels disappear back into heaven, and the night is silent once again. The shepherds stand in the field, undoubtedly bewildered, amazed at what had just happened, their ears still ringing with the praises of heaven. But they're not paralyzed by this. They realize they must go and find this child. They say to each other, let's go and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. Let's go and find him. Let's go see. Because if this message is true, they think the world has changed forever. And perhaps some of you have heard the Christmas story many, many times, again and again and again. The story of Christ's birth is one that's been familiar to you for years. And yet it has been just that, a story. A nice tale. Something you might find in a storybook, but something that has no relevance or reality to your life. But consider the shepherds. That's certainly not how they treated the Christmas story when they heard it that night. They don't wait in the field going, that's nice, that's a very sentimental tale. No, they take this seriously and they go and find this child. They say, we must find him. We must seek him. So they waste no time. They go with haste. They find the little family huddled there in a cattle stall, the child lying in a manger just as the angels said. The sign was there. It is true. God's visiting his people. A savior had come. And the shepherds are unable to restrain themselves. You can imagine their excitement. They immediately start telling Mary and Joseph and everybody who's there what they've heard, sharing the message of the angels. This child is good news, great joy for all people. A Savior is born to the world. And as we see in verse 18, it's interesting. We think of this scene and we think of Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, maybe the wise men, even though they don't come till a couple months later, some cows, some goats. But Luke tells us that there's others there. We don't know who they are, but all who heard it, as the shepherds are speaking, they wonder at this news. They wonder. Maybe there are other travelers. We don't know, but their reaction is one of astonishment, of wonder. They might even be a little perplexed and skeptical at such a message that seems too good to be true. Too good to be believed. And perhaps that's how some of you have considered the story of Christmas, the message of Christmas. A, a Savior would be nice. It uh, sure would be wonderful if God would do something to change things around here. It would be good if there was hope for me with my problems and my, my, my sins and my struggling, but it just seems too good to be true. But friends, remember the words of the angels. Good news, great joy for all people. Not too good to be true, but so good that it is true. So don't wonder any longer whether or not a Savior was really born for you. He was, and you can receive this good news with great joy today. Mary's response is a little different than the others who were there, though. 
She doesn't wonder, she doesn't marvel in the same way, but she, as the text tells us, treasures these things up in her heart. I bet she remembered everything that was said to her that night for the rest of her life. She knows most of this information already, though. This isn't new to her. She's been visited by the angel Gabriel. She's been told who this child is. So for her, this isn't new and bewildering information, but a comforting confirmation. Comforting confirmation. And she ponders these things as she's hearing and seeing, meditating on them and thinking deeply on them. Perhaps for others of you, the Christmas story has become cliché. That you're so familiar with it, you're so used to it that it's just another aspect of the season. It's just another ornament that you put up in your heart for the month of December. You take it down January 1st, but learn from Mary here. Learn from Mary here. Think deeply. Meditate on the reality of the birth of Christ. That there is truly good news and that great joy can be had that the Lord has come. The shepherds don't overstay their welcome. They return home. But their journey home is not the same as their trip to Bethlehem. There's no more question marks for them. No more dread that maybe this isn't true. No, the shepherds go back having found and who, uh, what, what and who they were seeking. They have found this child and they go back worshiping, Luke tells us. Glorifying and praising God. Because God has sent hope. The Messiah has come. The birth of this child, the Christ, the Son of God in the flesh, means that God has not abandoned His people, but has sent a Savior. And that's what we see in the last verse of our text. The Son of God is the Savior. And we read in verse 21, At the end of eight days, when He was circumcised, He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before He was conceived in the womb. Eight days after the birth of this child, according to Jewish law, his mother and father took him to be circumcised, and he was given his name. Back in Luke 1, the angel Gabriel had told Mary what to name the child. And in Matthew's gospel, we see an angel appear to Joseph as well. Both angels tell both, uh, both parents the same name for the child. A name that is deeply significant and vividly descriptive of what the child is and what he's come to do. And they tell him, name this child Jesus. Name him Jesus, which is the English version of the Greek version of the name, right? But the Hebrew form, in, in Hebrew, the name would have been Yeshua. That would have been the name that he heard growing up. Time for dinner. Yeshua, it's time to eat. It's a name that means God saves. A name that means God is Savior. It's for this reason that the angel tells Joseph in Matthew 1.21, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His name describes who he is and what he came to do. The Savior of sinners. God in the flesh was born that day in Bethlehem to save us from our sins, which is our ultimate but not our only need when it comes to salvation. He was born to save us from sin through living a perfect righteous life on our account, dying on the cross for our sins in our place to provide reconciliation with God and the forgiveness for the things we've done wrong. He was born to save us from death through the power of the resurrection that would come after the cross three days later. He gave us a promise of a resurrection of our own at His return. 
He was born to save us from Satan, purchasing us and ransoming us from Satan's grip and kingdom and removing us from his clutches to bring us into his own kingdom in his victory over death and sin. He was born to save us from suffering and from sorrow. While we do suffer and weep in this life, it will not be forever. We have the promise before us of an eternity on a new heavens and a new earth where every tear has been wiped away, where the brokenness of this world that some of you are dealing with in such a painful way this morning is gone because all has been made right. But none of us can receive these things, this salvation, apart from faith in this Savior. The question, how can I be made right with God? What can I do? God doesn't want you to work your way to heaven. He wants you to trust in the way that He has made through His Son to believe in Him. Ultimately, the message proclaimed by the angels, the message that I'm bringing to you this morning is this, God sent His Son to be the Savior of all who believe in Him. So friends, what is your response to the Savior this morning? To the Savior who was born that day? You have heard of Him. Maybe some of you for the first time. So having heard of Him, do you seek Him? If you've sought Him and found Him, trusting Him by faith, do you rejoice because of the Savior? Because of Him? Rejoicing, do you, do you worship? Right? We know the Christmas story, but do you know the Christmas Savior? Now, there truly is no greater gift that we have been given than Christ, the Savior, the Lord. So I bring to you this morning good news of great joy that is for all people, no matter who you are. Unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. The Son of God has come. Seek Him. Be saved by Him. Rejoice in Him. Merry Christmas. Let's pray and let's sing. Our Lord, we thank You for, for the proclamation of the angels, for the event that they proclaimed to those shepherds, and that in reading this part of Luke's Gospel that they proclaimed to us today. And Lord, from the outside, we consider ourselves better or worse than others, but Lord, you know everything. You see all of our hearts, and you know that each one of us is in the same need of a Savior. Thank you for not withholding your Son. Lord, thank you for not turning away from us and refusing to send someone to save us and rescue us and redeem us. But that this morning we remember in a particularly focused way that you have sent a Savior. That the Lord has come to redeem us. Lord, we thank you that this good news is true news. All of our hope is built upon it, Lord. Father, I pray that the message of the birth of Christ would be, would be received by all who hear it today. That those who know Christ would rejoice in Him and worship Him. That those who, who don't or who are hearing about Him for the first time, that they would consider this news and this Savior. They would think upon Him and consider your love for them, that you would send your own Son to die for them. We thank you for your son, the greatest gift. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.